Hey there, welcome to the Product Hive podcast. On this episode, we're bringing you the presentation from our January 2022 research event, where you'll hear from Jessica Dow. Jessica is currently a senior user experience researcher at Google. She is currently the user experience research lead and manager for the Gmail team. In this talk, Jessica will tell us about her journey, discuss product development at Google, and highlight some exciting projects she's worked on. A big thanks to Lucid for sponsoring this meetup. So now, let's hear Jessica's talk from child development to product development. Hello, everyone. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Let me go ahead and... Okay. Yeah, so thank you for that wonderful intro, Anar. I think you covered it pretty well, but just to go into a little bit more detail, really, I've always been quite passionate and interested in understanding human behavior and understanding people and working directly with people. And so... My passion and my interest really led me uh, to where I am now. I do have a background in psychology, so I, I did my undergraduate degree in psychology. And from there, I started volunteering in various academic research labs. So I worked in, in a lab at UCLA, one um, for the San Francisco VA, and these were really focused on clinical psychology. From there, I knew I wanted to continue with my education, although I was still figuring out exactly what it is that I want to do once I graduate. But I thought a very logical next step was to join the developmental uh, psychology master's program at SF State. And while I was in the developmental program, this is when I actually really first learned about user experience research and that field. A fun story I like to tell is I was actually thinking about what do I want to do after this degree and exploring options. And I was looking at one of the career pages for developmental psychology. And I saw that there was a woman who had a PhD in developmental psychology, but she was currently a user experience researcher at Fisher Price working on children's toys. But that's when it really clicked for me that there could be a direct connection between this academic background and pursuing a career in user experience research. So as Nar mentioned, I realized that human factors is probably the closest thing in psychology that school has to offer to user experience research directly. And so I did join a lab and, and that's where we met. Super awesome. But yeah, so you can see my background is like trying out different things in psychology until I really figured out what it was that I wanted to do. Once I graduated with my master's, that's when I was really fortunate to land a contract position that was at Google. And this was really a more junior researcher position. My role was titled research assistant. And here's where I was really starting to get that direct applied experience running user experience directly in industry settings. And I was getting lots of experience working directly with stakeholders, working on products, running research to directly help with product decisions. And so after a year of working on a contract position, I applied to a full-time position at Google and I was able to land that role. And I've been on the Gmail team ever since. And so it has been about five and a half years now and I've 
grown within my position on my team, and I'm currently leading the Gmail research team. So a lot of people ask me, people meaning like my friends and family, they'll be like, so how did you go from studying developmental psychology to working at Google? Like, how does that match up? And there are some like very specific skills that I did learn in my graduate school that really apply to the work that I'm doing today. So the biggest thing is that I really developed a strong understanding of research methods. We spent a lot of time learning about how do we come up with hypotheses and how do we test them and how do we make sure that we identify the right research methods to answer the questions that we have. And from there, we also learned how to use different research methods, so whether it's learning about them in textbooks or getting that hands-on experience in the research labs, as I mentioned. So here we're doing a lot of statistical analyses and, and learning how to do that, as well as running surveys or interviewing participants in studies or running experimental lab studies. And all of this is really applicable to industry research as well. The biggest difference is that academic versus industry research, the biggest difference there is time spent on research. So in academic research, we might spend a few years on one study from start to finish where we're actually publishing and talking about the results. Whereas in industry, we need to work at a very fast pace. We're making product decisions and business decisions. And so we want to make sure that the research that we're conducting can very, really be impactful for the business and for ultimately for users of the product. Even when I'm hiring now and I'm looking for more junior candidates, one of the biggest things I'm looking for is do they have this background in research and this strong understanding of research methods and how to apply them? From there, it's a lot easier to transition into a more fast-paced industry environment. So to give a little background on user research, I like to start here, and this is specific to Google, but I think it, it paints the picture very well. For Google, the mission statement is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. And the top core principle of Google is to focus on the user and all else will follow. So this is the principle that everyone at the company should be focused on and it's the number one principle. My role as a user experience researcher is to really help the product teams understand what does it mean to focus on the user? What do users actually need? What are their behaviors like? What can we build that will help solve problems that users actually have? To get into some more of the details of what do we actually do, we help understand and prioritize the users and their needs for the product teams. As I've mentioned, we employ both qualitative and quantitative methods and practices. So there can be lots of different research methods that we're using. And we really help answer the most challenging questions around product design. So at times we're answering things like, is this product usable? And we might run a usability test to see if users can actually complete a task. Other times we're answering questions, what should the team focus on next? What should the product roadmap look like? What should we prioritize first? To questions like, what does productivity mean for users who use communication tools at work? So these questions can become complex and challenging, but it's a super exciting and very important part of the role. As user researchers, we're really conducting research along the entire product development cycle. 
So we're really starting at the very initial stages where we're really helping uh, the team to understand who are our users, what problems do they have, what are the behaviors like, and this helps us understand the problem space and who we really want to focus on. Once we have some ideas, then we want to dig in deeper and really help the team explore what should we actually make? What should we work on that will actually help solve problems that our target users actually have? From there, the team will want to start to actually build. And here's where we help the team understand how will users actually use the product? How should we build it in a way that will work really well for users and meet their needs? Once the product team has really built out the product or the feature that we're working on, then we want to make sure we're evaluating. Does what we're building actually meet users' needs? Are we accomplishing the goals that we aimed to accomplish? And so here's where we'll do more evaluative research. Along these stages of product development cycle, we might use many different types of research methods. So we could be running lab studies. These days during COVID, we're only doing remote studies on my team, but where we'll do one-on-one -on -one interviews with users or test designs or concepts with users. We might do field research where we'll actually go out into the field and meet users where they are and really understand their behaviors within their own environment. And then we might do things like run surveys or conduct blogs analyses. So lots of different methods that we can be using along these different states. So now I want to dig into uh, a little bit more specifically, what have I been working in Gmail and what's some of the exciting stuff that we've um, been able to have an impact on as the research team. One of the most exciting projects that I've worked on during my time on the team is really understanding Gmail enterprise users and their needs. So a little bit of background, what we were hearing at this time was that some Gmail enterprise users, so users who were using Gmail on their work account at their company or their organization, we were hearing from these users that some of them were having challenges onboarding and using Gmail for the first time. So they might have been joining the company or their company was just switching over to using Gmail, and that's when they were struggling to really adopt Gmail. And what was challenging about this was that historically we were really focused on consumer Gmail users. And overall, we know that consumer Gmail users were really happy with the product. We see a lot of positive key metrics. And although there are always things that we can work on and do better, overall, we know that consumers were pretty happy. But what we were finding was that consumer usage just was not translating into enterprise Gmail usage. Even if the user was using Gmail already for their personal life, when they were using it at work, it wasn't quite the same thing. And so we really had to dig in to understand. I like to go to this analogy, which really paints the picture of what this was like for our team. So here, thanks for appreciating the gift. Here is a kitchen. It's a big, beautiful kitchen, really nice. It's got quite a bit of equipment in there. And any cook could come into this kitchen and cook a really nice meal for their family or their friends. And they'd probably be pretty happy doing it. However, here's a totally different kitchen. This kitchen has multiple ovens, 
hundreds of pots and pans, lots of utensils, and a chef could actually come into this kitchen and be super productive and cook probably with an entire team for an entire restaurant. And so for us, this was really how we felt. In the past, we were often designing for cooks, but in this case, we really had to start designing for chefs in a lot of cases. So again, could a cook come in, or sorry, could a chef come into the really nice kitchen that we first talked about and cook a nice meal? They probably could, but would they be as productive? Would they be able to cook with their entire team? Probably not. All right, so we had to start cooking for chefs. Another thing that we had to think about was changing the way that we were thinking about our users and the research that we were conducting. So this is often how we think about Gmail and our users. Gmail has a very large user base. To put it into perspective, Workspace overall has over 3 billion users using Workspace products to communicate and collaborate. So for Gmail specifically, this can feel sometimes overwhelming when we're really trying to understand specific segments or specific portions of users. It can feel almost a little bit like, where's Waldo? How do we actually find the users that we really need to learn about? And in this case, as I said, we really needed to understand enterprise users. What are their specific needs? What are their specific behaviors? And so we had to shift the way we were thinking about even the research that we were doing to really understand. So to recap, because consumer use did not translate that well into enterprise use, and historically we had been focused on Gmail users overall, we had to really shift our focus to focusing on enterprise and making sure that our research method set us up so that we could do that. All right, so that's a little bit of the background from here. We understood the problem space. We understood who we wanted to focus on. And so the next step for the team is to first align on what are the actual user goals that we want to accomplish. And once we align on that goal, how will we actually know whether, we're, whether or not we're accomplishing that goal? And so here's where we'll, where we'll actually define success. So in this case, the user-centered goal was we wanted to improve first-time user experience for Gmail enterprise users. The North Star metric that we defined for this was to improve satisfaction overall for new enterprise users. And again, aligning on this upfront as a cross-functional team, so it's UX research, product managers, designers, engineers, knowing that we're all focused on the same goal and we're aligned on this, this will really help the team uh, focus and make tough decisions as we're making trade-offs throughout the product development cycle. So we had our goal, we had our North Star metric. One thing to add is for each individual feature launch, we would often define a very specific set of metrics. At Google, we use the Heart framework pretty often. Some of you might have heard of that framework before, but this is when we're looking at additional metrics like happiness, engagement, adoption, retention. And so for each individual feature launch, we'll be measuring very specific metrics as well. All right. So we understand the problem space a bit and who we're focused on. The cross-functional team aligns on our goal and our key success metrics. From there, we really needed to gain insights into enterprise users' current experience uh, with first using Gmail. 
but sometimes it can feel a little bit like this at the beginning stages of product development. Like, what do we actually do now? Where do we even start? It feels like a really big problem space. How do we start making products here? But a really good thing to do, and fortunately on Gmail, it's a pretty mature product, so we, we can look at data from the past, but even so, it's always good to take a step back and think about what do we already know? What data can we lean on here to make some hypotheses and start learning? And so for us, we really started with the data that we already have. Some examples of data that we were looking at, we wanted to understand end user feedback specifically. So for that, we were looking at our Gmail and product survey data, looking at our in-product feedback channels data. We also had customer events that we were able to look at and read through some of the feedback there from end users. And then we also wanted to understand from an admin perspective or a decision maker perspective, what are they saying about Gmail and adopting it for their organizations? And so for this, we were really able to lean on our professional services organization internally. So talking to account managers, as well as the sales team, we have some external forums where customers can leave their feature ideas or their feedback. And then we also have support calls that we could look through those analyses to understand specific admin feedback. So looking across all of these different channels, we were able to pretty quickly identify some themes and pop hypotheses. And here we are really able to identify specific areas of frustration that we hypothesize if we focus on these top sources of frustration, we can probably improve the overall experience and really make progress towards that larger goal of improving the first time experience for our users. All right. So from here, we've looked at background data, we formed our hypotheses, but now we actually really need to dig in to better understand these different areas. We have a pretty good sense at this point, but remember, we really need to know how are users actually behaving? Specifically, what are their needs? What are their use cases that work for using Gmail? So from here, we want to focus on doing more deep dive research to really dig into these different areas. And some examples of user research that we did was we defined critical user journeys. So this is really a set of workflows that users have and a list of tasks that they conduct in our product to accomplish those workflows or their, those goals. We also run foundational studies where we really try and understand user needs in a given area uh, much more holistically. We did competitive benchmarking where we try and understand how easy is our product to use versus some of our top competitors. And then we also have alpha and beta programs where we can get qualitative feedback on specific features directly from our customers. So. To illustrate an exact example, this was a feature that we worked on to really focus on improving that new enterprise user experience for Gmail users. And so this is where we worked on improving Gmail search. So from a user perspective, the goal is pretty straightforward. Users need to be able to find an email in Gmail. I'm sure we all can resonate with this, that we need to easily be able to find what we're looking for when we're looking for email. However, the problem that we were seeing was that for new users, they were really missing a specific functionality that they had in Outlook. 
But if any of you have or do use Outlook, there's a feature called Sort, and it's a really specific way of finding emails. In Gmail, we don't have that feature and we don't have that functionality. So it was a pretty big change for a lot of users who were used to finding emails in this way. And we were hearing a lot of frustrations that it was hard for them to find email in Gmail because it was so different from how they were doing it before. So the goal that we aligned on as a cross-functional team was that new users could easily find what they need and are happy with Gmail search. And some of the key success metrics that we defined were that we wanted to improve sentiment with Gmail search. And then we would also look at adoption and engagement of new features. So from here, we started our research processes. First, we started with some internal engagement with our sales team um, to really understand, is this a valid problem? We have this hypothesis based off of the data that we've seen, but now we really want to start validating more specifically. And we did hear from our sales team that this is something that they heard from decision makers all the time. They would say that decision makers would say things like, why do my users have to learn how to code in Gmail to actually be able to find an email? We have search operators and the power to find emails, but users really don't know how to discover these features and we don't make it easy for them to discover these features. Instead, we really just expect users to figure out how to do it. From there, we conducted more follow-up research. So the first study that we ran was a foundational research study where we um, recruited 15 enterprise users who used Gmail for work every day. And we did a diary study where we had them submit survey data daily to tell us about their experience using Gmail search. And here we were really able to identify what's working well about Gmail search, but also what are the specific pain points that users are having to help us really come up with solutions. Another thing that we did is we dug deeper into a lot of the customer data that we had, but we narrowed it in specifically on search. So. We looked through the in-product survey data. We talked more to the sales team, but here again, we were really filtering for search specifically, and we were rigorously reading through the data and the feedback to form to pull out the pain point. Once we had a really good sense and felt very confident that these are the pain points that we should focus on to improve Gmail search, then we do solution brainstorming. And here we come up with potential concepts that could address this problem. And then we tested several ideas in small scale user research. But here are the examples that actually launched. We had more ideas than this, which is an important call out. We wanted to start pretty broad, but we did end up narrowing in. And so here are two of the things that we did to address Gmail search and improve the experience. The first was we added a right click menu functionality where users could simply click find emails from this person or find emails with this subject. And that was meant to make it easier to find emails from right there from the email view. A bigger feature that we worked on was adding search filter chips to Gmail. And so here, if the user actually started by entering in a search term and they got a list of results, they could easily refine those results by clicking on different filter chips to get to what they needed faster. And again, this was 
functionality that technically existed in Gmail in the past, but it wasn't easy to use. It wasn't discoverable. And so here we're making that functionality front and center and really easy for users. So we come up with the solution ideas and then we run small scale research. So in this case, we ran two concept studies. Each study had eight users and we recruited specifically enterprise users who do use Gmail search for their work. We also leaned on or wanted to make sure that we were recruiting new enterprise users since that was really our target. And within these studies, we're showing design mocks and concepts and we're really testing for understandability as well as perceived usefulness of these new search features. So from here, we're learning early, we're hearing directly from users, we're seeing what's working well. We're also seeing what's not working so well and identifying risks. And so this really enables the team to iterate really early on in the development cycle before we're even building anything. Once we feel like we've learned, we've iterated, we feel pretty confident about the solution, then we work with the team to really start building out these new features. And so the engineering team will start to build these features. We start to see them in the products, which is really exciting. But now we need to go to that evaluative research stage. Remember, we need to know, is what we're building actually meeting users' needs? Are we meeting the success metrics that we expected to see? Are we accomplishing our larger goal? And so for this, we'll go through different milestones, as we call them, or different really testing stages where we'll start rolling out features with different audiences and evaluating our success metrics. Along the way, we're really learning what's working well and what's not working well that we should iterate on prior to rolling out to our wider Gmail user base, which is a really large population. One thing that we're super lucky on the Gmail team is we're actually using Gmail every day for work. And so it makes it a lot easier to really test some of the things that we're working on, but we'll really do internal team testing amongst our smaller team. From there, we'll often roll out to a broader audience at Google outside of our own team. We also, again, we're really focused on enterprise customers. So we'll launch to a small portion of customers who are willing to sign up and test things early and give us feedback. And then once we've gone through these various stages and feel confident in our success metrics, then we'll launch to the general. At Google, it's not just about launching, it's also about landing. So again, making sure that we're actually launching things, but really accomplishing our goal, meeting our success metrics. So once we actually launch to the general public, we'll still make sure we're looking at our key metrics, understanding, did this actually land? once we rolled out to this much wider audience. I'm unable to show like specific metrics, but here's just a highlight article of when we did launch these search features, we saw a lot of the press really calling out that we were adding these search chips and it was really helping users refine their search and adding the value that we expected to see. Of course, we looked at our success metrics and we saw positive results there. All right. So I just went through a lot of background context and then this great story about this project that we worked on and super successful, identified what we should build, built it, it worked great, all seems so easy. 
We are super proud of this project and it was definitely fun to work on, but of course there were some challenges along the way. So those are some things that I wanted to call out as well. I took a step back and I tried to put on the lens of what surprised me as being challenging, especially working at Google. I had maybe a set of expectations that things would be, some specific things would be easier than they ended up being. In this specific instance, Building empathy on our larger cross-functional Gmail team for enterprise users specifically was a lot harder than I expected it to be. And this was really because it was a major culture shift. The team had been focused on consumer users for so long. That was what they really knew and understood and expected our users to largely be. In this case, we really had to do a lot of work to share with the team share our insights, show what users were saying, play videos to so people could hear directly what users were saying, show the data that made it very clear that these are specific needs and user behaviors to really bring the team along and help them understand that enterprise users were very different. And we did need to focus on different things than we historically did so that we could really meet these specific users' needs. That was one thing. The second thing that, again, this surprised me, especially earlier in my career, even at a company like Google, where you feel like there are so many resources, such big teams, it can still be very hard to prioritize. And in this case, for enterprise users, like I said, we identified, we looked at a lot of data and we identified quite a few things that we could work on to help improve this new user experience, but the team can't work on everything all at once. And so the team really needed strong data as well as strong voices of researchers and PMs to help them understand what should we prioritize first and what will have the most impact out of all of the things that we can do. So these were definitely the, the top challenges that I faced throughout the project, but working through all of this and working on this project was definitely very rewarding and really exciting in the end. All right. So thank you so much, everyone. Thank you for joining. Again, super excited to be here and talk with you all. So thank you again for joining. And I think we have plenty of time for Q&A. Thanks a lot, Jess. That was awesome. And I really love how you went over your ch the challenges <clears throat> on the project that you worked on, too. I thought the way that you structured everything was very well done and I think gave everyone plenty of insight into not only your experience, but like the specific projects that you've worked on. So thank you very much for that. And yeah, we do have plenty of time for Q&A. So if anyone has any questions for Jessica, please just go ahead and unmute yourself. That's probably the best way um, to go about this and ask the question. Hey, Jessica, thanks so much. I didn't get a sense of timeline of how long this stuff took beginning to end. I, I myself am doing UX research and just starting a new job implemented in a product team that are extremely passionate and excited to get stuff done. And I'm feeling a definite pull to just follow along and tell them what to do from quote UX, as opposed to actually getting research done. And so I, I definitely feel like I'm slowing the process down for them and they feel that and I'm not, I don't feel too bad about it, but it would help to have some perspective of timeline and how you 
battle that, that tension possibly with the product team of you're taking too long to get us the, the what stuff we want so we can make. Yeah, that's a really great question. So two things come to mind. One, yeah, I think you're totally right in not feeling bad, not feeling too bad about it. And there I would say another big challenge is really helping product teams understand why is it so important that we do user research. And I found that a lot of times it can just take trust with stakeholders. So the longer you work with individuals and you show them the type of research that you do and the impact that it can have, sometimes simply just time and building that trust goes a super long way. Another thing I like to remind myself of even though is, yeah, just really taking a step back and making sure to take time to educate stakeholders on why do we do research? What are we going to learn? What will we miss if we don't conduct this research? What won't we know? What are the risks? So that's a big thing that comes to mind. On the totally flip side, another thing that comes to mind is the importance of when possible, trying to be lean and and trying to go as fast as you can. I know for me, with this academic background, my instinct is to be as rigorous as possible and take a long time sometimes to conduct research. But I touched on it earlier that in this project that I was talking to, it was really important for us to just start with the data that we already had. We didn't need to kick off a big foundational research effort or brand new study to come up with a lot of the hypotheses that we had. So that's just one example, but yeah, I do think it's this balance of trying to be lean where you can so that, like you're saying, so that you can have the impact uh, that you want to have for the product team, understanding that there are business timelines, there are marketing needs, but also balancing it with educating stakeholders on this is why we have to take the time, this is why we have to invest in research. Hopefully that was helpful. Can I call you later or email you? Yeah, yeah. I don't know, Anar, if you have my personal email on the on the event, but I'm happy to chat more, definitely. Yeah, I don't, but I could. Or maybe you could add Jessica on LinkedIn and that could you go through there. Great. Might be better. Perfect. Hi, Jessica. My name is Alana from Utah, and I did have a quick question. When you were building empathy, did you use like user personas or was there a methodology that you would recommend? Yeah. User personas could be a great one. I'll just call out a few examples that we really leveraged for this project and some of my favorite things that we've done. One example is we had a viewing party for the wider cross-functional team. And this is where we had a dedicated hour. We called it a viewing party. We've done this pre and post COVID. Pre COVID, we would bring like food and drinks and make it fun for the team. But during this party, we actually have the team watch directly users and what they're saying um, or how they're using the product. For us, we did one study where we actually had enterprise users go through a series of tasks and see how easy or difficult it was to complete those tasks. And we were able to share back video footage of how users did use the product and what was easy and what was difficult. And during that beauty viewing party, we also had 
booklet that we shared with the team and we asked questions to them directly. What do you think went well? What do you think we can improve as an extra way to help the team internalize what they were seeing? So that's a big one. Also, it feels simple, but I really think that quotes can, quotes and videos, but Quotes can be extremely powerful. I really like to try and balance positive with things that are going well with things that are not going well. But I do think there's something very powerful about a quote from a user and making the team really take a moment to read or hear exactly what users are saying directly. That just goes such a long way and much further than the research team telling them what users are saying. Great. Thank you so much. I guess one other thing to add there too, was really the power of cross-functional relationships. So for this project specifically, I partnered extremely closely with the product manager and we were really partnering on going to customer interviews. She would observe study sessions. She would even go through survey data with me. She would even code survey data with me. I was fortunate that this was a stakeholder that it didn't take too much convincing to to get her to do that but that went such a long way in helping share these insights with the broader team and really push for this hey jess i'm glad you mentioned that i had a question around that but i guess more specifically while you were going through this research project, how were you keeping the dev team in the loop and how involved were they? Would they be like behind like a, a one-way window or anything during any of these conversations? Or would you just report back to them? What did that look like? Yeah. To be honest, it can be a bit mixed. Everyone's super busy, of course, but I do find that engineers, it might be a little bit harder to get them to come observe study sessions directly. You get really lucky when you have ones that are super enthusiastic, but like I said, it can be a little bit harder at times. So we definitely invite the end team to study sessions to observe. We keep them in the loop. We announce that the research is happening. But beyond that is where we do the things like viewing parties or in-depth research readouts. One thing that I didn't mention last time, but another thing that we did was we actually ran a workshop with the entire team. So we invited all functions where we actually spent a few hours going through research. We also, it wasn't just me speaking. I invited other people to speak and chime in and share their knowledge. And then we did a brainstorm as a team. How can we actually come up with solutions to solve some of these problems together? And that specifically is good to get everyone's ideas. It's also a really good way to build empathy and get the engineering team involved because it's actually fun for them. And they really feel like they're a part of it. And they're also internalizing the problems that we're all focused on solving. There's just... an element of, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was going to ask you, when you're doing a project like this, like is when, like, if there's any disagreements that arises from, say, like working with a product manager, how do you like address those coming to a consensus? Like the product manager might be wanting to go in a different direction versus like the UX team is having a different view. I just wanted to get a sense of how that's done in at Google. Yes, definitely. There are disagreements. 
all the time, which it's mostly fun and it's friendly debate, but yes, it happens all the time. A couple things to call out as a UX researcher specifically. One of the big things that I try and do is empathize. So for example, if it's a product manager that I'm disagreeing with, I try and take a step back and really understand where they're coming from, not only their point of view and their opinion in this, in whatever thing that we're debating, but also what makes them successful in their role? How is it different from a researcher being successful and what we do? So just understanding where is that person actually coming from and why are they pushing for certain things? Another thing that really helps is showing the data and really telling a strong story and that's something that I've gotten better at over time is really knowing what data is going to be compelling for different stakeholders, how to triangulate across this different data or look at findings from a study, but really tell this bigger picture while also having the data to, to back it up. And then in some instances, we might not have all the answers or all the data. And if it does get to that point, then we're really not able to agree and we're taking a look at things and we realize maybe we do have some gaps in our understanding, then at that point, we might decide to do some follow-up research or, or we might decide to align on experimenting with something and going back to evaluating our success metrics. Let's put our best foot forward, align on trying something and then we'll measure to see how successful it is. Quick question, Jonathan from Salt Lake. So I work on the agile software development and I was thinking you mentioned how people just wanted to build, build, build and get to that build point. And so I'm, I'm trying to connect the dot between the, the agile development that you just hit on very briefly. And my instinct was that your arguments with the product managers were over scope and timeline because they need to build to hit their deadlines, but part of what needs to be built, it needs to be defined well. And so you want to do a lot of research about lots of things to develop and then need to scope it down to the important things that can actually be done. So I'm just, I guess I'm wondering if I'm correct. Okay. So yep. I'm just yep. That's, that's a, a big piece of it. Yeah. We might be recommending one thing, but what we're recommending actually takes longer than what the product manager had in mind. How do we deal with that situation? Often it does come down to prioritization or it might come down to, hey, we think these things are actually critical and they are high priority. But yeah, that's a, definitely a big one. Other things that we might disagree on is solution. One person on the team might have something very specific in mind based off of what they know is easiest to build, or sometimes they just have something very specific in mind. And so those also come up as well. How do we align on a solution and move forward? Hey, Jessica, first off, that's Zeke here. First off, excellent presentation. That was really interesting. Apologize if this is too nuanced, but I'm curious, like you, you, you did a bunch of different research methods, like diary studies for one. I've always wanted to do and never have. But how do you go about synthesizing your findings and coming up with themes? Um, I know there could be a variety of ways you do it throughout the process, but are there any like high level themes to share? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, thinking about more of the qualitative research, survey feedback data or diary studies or interviews. Like you said, yeah, there can be many different processes to do it. But really what we're doing is we're first starting with what are our key research questions that we had that we really need to answer. And then we look at the data that's directly focused on answering those questions first. And I point that out because sometimes you're conducting research and you get a ton of data. Users might start talking about giving you a ton of context or might start to talk about something else that's still really interesting, but it's not focused on the core research question that you're trying to understand. So that's really a good place to start is what were key questions that we needed to learn about. From there, we're looking at the data across participants. And we do take the time to read through it and really start to identify themes across. So we might be looking for what are things that users said that were highlights or worked specific really well, or what are risks that we're hearing that are coming up again and again. So that's, yeah, at a high level, tools that we'll use are Google Sheets. A lot of researchers use things like mural boards or different online collaboration, whiteboarding tools. Of course, in-person, we'll love to get on the whiteboard or actually print data out and group it into different themes that we can later identify as themes, kind of, yeah, the more, more tactical and tools that we're using. One of the things to call out is, again, this is a great place to get the cross-functional team engaged. If you can bring them along, even for that synthesis process, it's going to make a huge difference in landing the insights with the members of the team because they'll have seen it firsthand for themselves. One other thing there is it's also good to, if you can, work with others on the team to align all the themes and talk about, are we seeing the same things? Are we seeing things differently? And work through some of that as well. Thank you so much. That was awesome. Appreciate it. I actually, when I, when I, when you were walking through your process, I, I actually completed one of the uh, this design certificates from Google. So I was actually surprised to see that the, the methodology that you followed exactly the way that they talk, taught in that certificate. So I was just wondering, like, how often do these processes or the methodologies that you follow at Google, do they ever get updated or are these like pretty pretty much like standard firm-wide the the way that you derive the, the way that you guys conduct your user testing and synthesizing your research and hypothesis statements is, is that like pretty uh, standard or do they change i don't know like whenever new products come out or when you had to uh, different types of research i was curious about that yeah that's a great question definitely at google there is like a larger research community. And so a lot of these things are in some ways standardized or there are certain processes or tools that we can all leverage to conduct research or recruit participants. So there is some level of standardization or processes that we can all use, but it also can definitely vary depending on the researcher and depending on what their research question is. What is the timeline that we have? Do we need to adjust our methods based off of that? Yeah, another big one is state of the product. For Gmail, it's a very mature product. So I spoke earlier about how we had these different feedback channels in place, like our in-product survey, for example. 
that we were able to go back and, and look at. Whereas a brand new product or something that's not even launched yet might look very different. And that's when the processes might look different there. So yeah, I would say there's an element of both, but yeah, it, it can vary as well. Jessica, your qualitative tools, you mentioned coding. Could I ask what you personally use for your qualitative analysis, coding stuff? Yeah, I primarily use Google Sheets. Yeah, I primarily use Google Sheets. Others on my team, we have a researcher. She's really an expert at using URL. I don't know if you've used it before. It is a really cool tool. And I've seen it's called Mural, N-U-R-A-L. Okay. And yeah, I've seen her, she's led research projects and the way that she can work in it and identify themes and craft a narrative. It's so awesome. For me personally, I really just lean towards Google Sheets for some reason. Even Google Docs will get pretty scrappy and messy and put together my themes and start inserting quotes and rearrange my story in that way. Hi, Jessica. I was wondering, what do you see the UX industry like heading towards, I don't know, in the uh, near to long, are there any significant shifts that you are seeing that's going on from your perspective and Google? That's a really good question that honestly, I I haven't thought too much um, about that lately. But I think some big things that I've read about, are there things that can be more automated as we think about the scale of data even? Are there different ways that we can be analyzing data and thinking about data? And really, are there things that we could automate in the future? So that's one one thing that I I definitely see like a buzz that I think I, I read about. And then another thing that we just, it might not be so much a big change or the future, but something that we do think about a lot is just how can UX have more of a strong voice or input into product decisions? So as you can tell, I, I think we're doing this in a pretty good way today, but are there bigger opportunities where we can provide the insight to the decision makers at organizations. And some people call it like U.S. having your seat at the table. But I think that's something that will uh, continue to evolve and think about over time as well. Hey, Jessica, this is Ray. Just want to say amazing presentation. Yeah, I don't have too many questions. Just a one quick question. Maybe I can ask for as a, let's say, imagine as a new a researcher who just joined a new team. Any recommendations to the other people? Yeah, any, do you want to share any of the principles that you have for this year's? Yeah, that's a great question. So one thing that I'm going to share is not specific to researchers, but I do think it's really important to call out and something that might not be the first thing that a researcher or anyone in a specific role might think of, but I think probably one of the most important things that makes me even successful now in my role is just building strong relationships with others on the team. So that's definitely the first thing that I would prioritize is just taking time to get to know people that you're working with because building those relationships will make you that much more successful in um, your role specifically in this case as a researcher. And what I spoke to earlier helps to build that trust 
your stakeholders might not be as skeptical when you're giving them recommendations that they didn't necessarily expect to hear. That's the first thing. And then the second thing, definitely just spend the time to really learn the area or learn the products or learn the problem space and recognize that it does take time. It's not something that happens overnight, but it's super important to just give yourself that space to read as much material as you can, find people who have been on the team for a long time if you can, and ask them to share what they know and just to do brain dumps with you and ask them tough questions about the product and what it's been through, the challenges that the team has. Yeah, I think those are the two big things that I think of. Thank you, Jessica. This is awesome. <laughs> Jessica, I missed, did you say where you work out of? Oh, great question. I'm based in San Francisco. I was working in the Sunnyvale office due to COVID. I've been in San Francisco, but yeah, Sunnyvale. So you're not remote or do you end up working right I, at home? How has that affected you being able to do all this? I, I really appreciate your in, insistence on getting to know the team and getting, building relationships, but has, how has that been during the uh, remote stage? Yeah, that's a really good question. It definitely took a lot of adjustment, even things like running brainstorms or workshops. How do you do that remotely? Building the relationship specifically, I think, again, just still making the effort to make time to reach out to others on the team, schedule time to talk, even though it's virtual, not being afraid to paying people directly or, or chat with them to reach out and just and talk to each other. And then, yeah, for research sharing specifically, we still do similar things. So we can have a viewing party virtually to make some of those things a little bit fun and engaging. We've done things like offer prizes or we'll have like in-depth Q&A times, things where we're still trying to get the team excited and involved. but. It definitely has its limitations as well. And I think we all really miss working in person, as I'm sure a lot of you do too. I'll ask another one. How has being a woman affected uh, your ability to work with uh, quite a male-dominant, sometimes misogynistic? Great question. I've been super fortunate on the Gmail team to, on the research team specifically, to have a great group of women as well as a lot of strong women leaders to look up to so i feel very fortunate and that that being said it can be challenging at times like you said in a male dominated dominated industry you might find yourself being the only woman in a room in those instances to be honest i think it took some getting used to at times that that's the kind of thing that I was able to get used to and work through and talk to my women colleagues and learn about their experiences as well and understand that we have these shared experiences. And yeah, I haven't faced too many struggles in that sense. Jessica, with that, the product that I'm now working on is the user base is about 95% women and our product team is entirely made of men. And I feel like that's lost on them as I've tried to bring that up. Is there ways? that you could advise me or give suggestions on how to 
be able to resonate with our audience better and understand them. For example, they wanted to create a future product called Flow. Do you have an initial uh, revulsion to that one, like most women, but yet the whole team had been using that for over two months. If any men on the team don't realize it, Flow is very tied to uh, the concept of menstrual cycle. And so every woman I mentioned that to, they are horrified that we would name a product called Flow for a woman's user base. Can you speak to that? Yeah, it, it kind of reminds me of the work that I was just speaking about, which was really convincing the team that enterprise Gmail users had different needs. One other thing that I didn't really talk about as much was that at Google, we're also all using Gmail for work. And so for us, we're really used to using these tools. We're also using the entire workspace suite. And so everything works really well together and we're really used to it. And the team didn't really understand when we would say, no, but for new users, they're having a very different experience than what we are having ourselves on the team. So it's a similar situation where the team did not have the direct experience. And so that was another part of why it was so important to build empathy with our target audience. And for us, we were able to do research and really bring those insights. And yeah, I don't know your role if you're a researcher, if you have a researcher at your company, but I will say just the importance of bringing feedback from your users in whatever way that you can. Feedback and examples of how users are actually using your product and what their needs are. Bringing that forward to the team as much as possible will go a really long way in that. Hi, I was wondering what's your process to when you're doing user research, uh, when it's, how do user research research when it comes to uh, testing accessibility? What's your process? Yeah, that's a great question. So I don't know if I can speak to all of the exact details, but we definitely do ensure that we test features that we're building with users who do have accessibility needs. And so often that means that they need to actually be able to use the product to be able to test it. So that's definitely something that we incorporate into our process as well. I guess to really be specific, in those instances, it's not always going to be sufficient to show mock or very early concepts because it's not really going to be often, like I said, sufficient to really be able to test some of these things. Got, gotcha. That's actually helpful. So that means there will be more iterations after, the, I don't know, like the final version when you're testing for like accessibility and inclusive design. Yeah. And it goes back to what I was saying about we do many stages before we're launching to our broader user base. And during those stages, we're, we're learning and testing along the way and iterating. So yeah. All right, everyone. That was a Amazing round of Q&A. I really appreciate everyone chiming in and a couple of people asking a handful of questions too. It really felt like a conversation and I really appreciate that. We are right about at time, but in the <clears throat> remaining four minutes, I forgot to mention this at the beginning, but Zeke actually will send over a Google Doc, speaking of Google Office uh, products, and we would love your feedback on, on this event or any other event you've seen hosted by Product Hive. Um, we are obviously are planning more events for this year, both 
well, primarily remote, but eventually in person as well. And we would love to hear about what you've thought. And Jessica, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. This was absolutely amazing. And I know in the middle of everything else you're, you, you have going on in your life, I know this is a, just a small thing. So I really appreciate it. And I, it, it seems clear to me, everyone else here is super excited about your presentation as well. Like I said, I, this was recorded, so I hope to have it edited and then published on our YouTube channel in the next couple of weeks. We'll be sending out a link in our um, February newsletter so everyone here could revisit it, go and take down any notes. If you have any interviews coming up or you want to learn, I don't know, if you want to go try to work at Google and also for anyone that you know, couldn't make it to the skull, make sure to let them know too, where they can check it out. But yeah, thank you. And thank you everyone too, for joining us and asking some really thoughtful questions. If you could just please give us the feedback in that Google form that we sent in the Zoom chat, we would very much appreciate that. We can't manage what we don't measure. So that'll go a long way in helping us to continue putting together these awesome events with amazing speakers. Awesome. Thank you so much, Anar, for inviting me and Zeke as well for hosting. And thank you so much, everyone, for all of the questions um, and being so engaging. So thank you. A big thanks to Jessica Dow for presenting. And again to Lucid for sponsoring the event. If you learned some things from Jessica's talk, be sure to share it with your team or share it on Twitter and mention us at product underscore hive. Sharing these talks is a great way to support Product Hive. As always, be sure to check out all our upcoming events. You can find them by searching for Product Hive on meetup.com. And while you're there, go ahead and join the group so you always get the latest updates. We also have a YouTube channel where you can find videos of all the past talks. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your feed soon, and we'll see you at one of our next events. We'll <laughs>